Hello, I'm Daryl Bloodworth at the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida, and I'll be leading the study of the Gospel of John. Thank you for joining us. This is Lesson 1. John is different from the other three Gospels. They are referred to as the Synoptic Gospels and include Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They cite many similar events in these Gospels, and the Gospel of John, as we will see, sometimes refers to events that no one else addresses. Examples are the meeting with Nicodemus by Jesus in chapter 3, and also meeting the woman at the well in chapter 4. Keep in mind that John's gospel was the last to be written. Most, probably all, of the other apostles were dead by the time John wrote it. And he wrote it sometime between A.D. 85 and A.D. 95. John was familiar with the other gospels. Uh, The apostles were a relatively small group, and the letters and the Gospels were widely circulated. John's purpose in writing is clear, and he states that explicitly in chapter 20 and verses uh, 30 and 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So his purpose in writing is clear. Uh, The other gospel writers appear to have set out to provide an orderly account, as Luke says in chapter 1, of what they wrote. John is being highly selective in what he wrote to achieve his purpose, as stated in the verses I just read. For example, John doesn't include any of the parables of Jesus. Neither does he include the Sermon on the Mount, which is the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching, on Christian living. It's not that those subjects are unimportant to John, but again, he was being selective to achieve his goal of presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through him we may have life. He probably also felt that the parables in the core of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount had already been covered well enough in the other Gospels. Another thing we'll note is that John is writing as an eyewitness of the events he describes and explains. We'll see time and again in his gospel, by the little details he includes, that only an eyewitness could explain what he is seeing. Another thing to keep in mind is that any time an author writes, his full intent Uh, can only be known by understanding something about the context in which he wrote. John was writing at a time in which the growth of the church was mainly among Gentiles. In fact, he was writing from Ephesus, where he had been the pastor and a bishop of Asia Minor for many years. He wanted to tell the gospel in a manner that would be easier for a Gentile raised in Greek culture to understand. And that's one of the reasons he begins not with the genealogy of Jesus, but with associating him with the word, the logos of God. To us, words are symbols by which we convey our thoughts and feelings. Their power is not in the words themselves, but rather in the thoughts and feelings they convey. To the Greek world, however, words themselves had power. They could understand God speaking the world into existence, as the book of Genesis relates. Thus, John intentionally begins with Jesus being the word of God through whom the world was created. 
Another aspect of the context in which John wrote is the fact that certain heresies had arisen in the church over time. One of the most prevalent of these heresies was one called Gnosticism. Basically, this heresy asserted that the only thing that matters was the spirit. Flesh was corrupt and not of God, so one could do whatever one wanted in the flesh. It was of no importance. Well, you can imagine what the consequences would be of such a philosophy. Furthermore, the Gnostics claimed Jesus only seemed to be in the flesh, and while he was dying on the cross, his spirit had already left him. Again, it's difficult for us to understand this type of thinking, but it was prevalent within all of the Gentile churches, and John sought to put a dagger in his teaching in his gospel. That's why in the first few verses of the book we read in John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Additionally, the Gospel of John, perhaps more than any of the others, tells us about Jesus being tired, angry, hungry, and alone, all very human traits. He also tells us in John 19, verse 30, that Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, refuting the lie that Jesus had already given up his spirit before going to the cross. Some other facts to keep in mind as we go through the study of the Gospel of John. First, John's an old man by the time he wrote his gospel. His brother James was martyred about 40 to 45 years previously. Also, you should know that John cared for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as Jesus instructed from the cross in the 19th chapter of John, until she died, probably in Ephesus, where John pastored for many years. Scholars believe that Salome, John's mother, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were sisters, And if so, that would have made John a first cousin of Jesus. Another thing to keep in mind is that John changed over the years. Because of his hot temper and zeal for the Lord, Jesus dubbed John and his brother James sons of thunder because they were ready to call down fire from heaven to punish any city that didn't receive Jesus, as is explained in the third chapter of Mark. Yet later, when we read the three letters that John wrote late in life, they are all about love. He refers to those to whom he wrote as dear children and dear friends. By then he had developed a pastor's heart, a tender heart, and we will see that in what he wrote. There are also some themes in this gospel that we will see repeated time and again. One such theme is that Jesus was misunderstood by those whom he taught. He was misunderstood by the religious hierarchy of the Jews. They were grounded in the law and the prophets, or at least their interpretation of the law and the prophets, but they misunderstood God's overriding requirement for mercy, justice, and faith. We'll also see that Jesus was even misunderstood by his own disciples. Another theme we'll see is that Jesus relied heavily upon the wisdom books in his confrontations with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what's kind of striking about this is that the wisdom books in the Old Testament present the wisdom of God, yet they declare that wisdom alone is inadequate. For example, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon repeatedly offers wisdom, but then says, all is vanity. John presents Jesus as the wisdom of God personified, But he's more than that. He's the ultimate answer to every question for all time. 
Yet he's repeatedly misunderstood by the Jewish leaders, by the people, and even his own disciples. Not until after his resurrection do even his own disciples begin to understand Jesus and the purpose of his incarnation. We'll also see the theme of light and darkness, and it begins in verses 4 and 5 of the first chapter of John. And this theme is also repeated throughout this gospel. Jesus is the light of the world, and the light has overcome the darkness. Perhaps because of his long tenure as a pastor to Gentiles in Ephesus, John includes a number of parenthetical statements to provide background information in order to inform his readers what a Hebrew word means. And he does this more than any other of the other gospel writers. To me, he's somewhat like the stage manager in the play Our Town, whispering as an aside to the reader about what's going on. We'll see this happen repeatedly throughout John's gospel. He wants the reader to see clearly who Jesus is and what's really happening in the story he's conveying. One of the things that will help you as we go through this study is to use your imagination to try to understand what's going on. But it should be an informed imagination. Try to picture what's going on in the stories being told. Uh, Hopefully some of you have seen the video series The Chosen, and if not, I strongly encourage you to watch it. The Chosen will help put in context the stories from the Gospels. For example, the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus in the third chapter of John will come to life after you see that episode, as will the episode of the woman at the well in chapter 4. If you have questions about a particular festival or holiday mentioned in uh, the story, look it up. Google works pretty well for such questions. Try to understand the circumstances and how the participants would be affected by what's going on. Try to place yourself in the story as an observer. If you do this, our study will be exciting. As I said at the beginning, we're studying the greatest story ever told about the greatest life ever lived. And that's exciting. Next week in Lesson 2, we'll begin with Chapter 1 of the Gospel of John.